Welcome, Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James, along with Michael Swede, and of course the beautiful country of Sweden, which is uh, experiencing lockdowns. Although the, the lockdowns are being eased up all over the world because of lawsuits, is my understanding. Mainstream media is not even talking about this. But nevertheless, the standoff in Canada continues. And to me, Michael, what's happening in the world is a global instance of the French Revolution when the Rothschilds finance the Illuminati to infiltrate Freemasonry, which had already infiltrated the royal houses of Europe, especially in France, and have redirected those countries' fortunes to suit the Rothschilds. And that includes, today, it includes medicine, <laughs> healthcare, etc., etc. So the entire world is now as we were talking about uh, in our pre-show discussion, uh, the entire world now has a new god. It's called Big Pharma. So, uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I can. Some comments here in Sweden, by the they have now lifted all the restrictions. Now it's like it's gone. Now, now it's back to normal almost. So here, almost they, they. I don't know. Then I started thinking, why is this because of the. The, the resistance they're getting or because they have achieved something in their goal. I don't know. Or is it uh, hopefully it's because of our fathers doing and because of the um, of the freedom convoy up in Canada that makes the governments up in up here in the Scandinavia to back off with this bullshit. Right. Because well, it is yeah. bullshit. This yes. corona as I sent to you all CLI your own CDC admits that their PCR test they're, they're not basing upon an isolated version of this so-called corona. It is just the flu or common cold, as yeah. we have been saying since day one. Yeah, they they always bury the truth in one thousand page tomes, right? And you have to, and it's always toward the back, right, to find out. Well, no, we we never isolated the so-called virus. Okay, so the truth, they do admit the truth, but they never report it. Okay, so you have to really dig deep to get at get at it. But w- one thing is for sure: the next phase is uh, higher prices uh, and a collapsing economy, and they're going to try to starve us out because the lockdowns haven't been working. Okay, there's been too much resistance to the lockdowns, and uh, I think their portfolios—they have to ma- micromanage which corporations will survive this. But nevertheless, every single corporation has to have smaller companies that supply in, in their food chain, to, to uh, you know, use a phrase, in their food chain. If their smaller companies that give them supplies fail, then they begin to fail too. And they have to micromanage this from the top down. And that's a problem. That's a real serious problem. But, uh, and, and, but this also applies to the Bible, folks, <laughs> because... Today's subject is the Sargon the Magnificent by Mrs. Sidney Bristow. And throughout history, especially since the fable of evolution was created by Darwin, there's been two camps. There's been the secular camp, which is so-called science. And I I use the word so-called judiciously because archaeology is not a science. It's all speculation with a little bit of geology thrown in, uh, actually a little bit of astroarchaeology, which is actually approaching science, 
contrary to all the other stuff. And then we have the speculative interpretations of the Bible by the Judeo Christians. So we're caught in the middle having to get the truth uh, of the of Scripture by comparing Scripture with actual history. Okay, and one thing I have to say is that the the secular crowd has an absolute hatred of the Bible. This includes the the archaeologists. Okay, except for that small group of biblical archaeologists who take the Bible and history seriously, the, this entire field of biblical history has been a shambles. And so we're going to try to make sense of it through the, this book called Sargon the Magnificent by Mrs. Sidney Bristow. Okay, and uh, it's a fairly uh, lengthy book, so we're going to have to pick and choose. We're going to start with chapter 3, and I'm not sure that there is an online version of uh, this book. It's a rather obscure book, but it's very important in, in discovering uh, true biblical archaeology. And uh, it's, uh, her premise is that Sargon I of Akkad was actually Cain. Okay, and Bavarius, Bavarian man says he's got the book in front of him as well. So, uh, I would highly advise everybody to get a copy of this book. I'm sure it's available, you know, on Amazon. <laughs> Not that I want to give them any business, but uh, let's start on page 13, chapter three: a necessary explanation. Over to you, Michael. Yes. So now we're going to read from Sargon the Magnificent as um, so eloquently said. And we start off on chapter 3, a necessary explanation. Um, two of the most re- recent writers upon the Babylonian inscriptions internationally support Professor Kittel's opinion. And uh, Kittel's opinion, uh, Eli, this is, I guess, a se- this is a secular professor then that uh, she is referencing. Probably. Although he might uh, he might be uh, pro Bible, might be pro Christian. Yeah, and, maybe and we'll I find guess, out. Yeah, when she wrote this, also was pretty early in the ninth in the twentieth century. So people were tended to be more pro Bible, yes. than what they are today. Yes, absolutely. But the uh, the balance has definitely gone against the Bible since then, for sure. Yeah, since then, okay. yes, for sure. Um, so, opinion that the Genesis stories came down in, quote, two streams, end quote. And also, my theory that one uh, stream came down through the descendants of Seth and the other through Cain in Babylonia. Before quoting their remarks, however, I must explain why they call the first possessors of the, quote, very ancient knowledge, end quote. Semites. For uh, if they were the family of Adam, they should of course be called after him and not after Shem or Sem, uh, who lived much later. And the question, when we read those two uh, streams, could then I think now came to me when I read two streams, this came from us, from the Sethites, from the Adamites, that must be the Bible, that's what come up to my first knowledge where the knowledge came from. Absolutely, yeah. And the other stream, uh, you can even say this is two seed line, <laughs> right? <laughs> because the other stream comes from Cain and his descendants. However, there's also a uh, a third stream. You know, one is the biblical Shem, 
and uh, the, the other would be you know, the Canaan, uh, Canaan, Canaanites of the ancient world, which they, they did not live very far apart. You know, and our study on the second book of Adam and Eve demonstrates how closely they lived in proximity to one another. However, uh, the Sethites were forbidden to intermarry with the Kenites. Okay? And to the extent that our ancestors obeyed that law of, uh, of racial segregation, the one stream has survived, but the other stream is very, <laughs> as, as Yahshua says, uh, narrow is the path that leads us to salvation, broad is the path that leads us to destruction. And the vast majority of people on the earth have followed the broad path. And we can see what's happening now. They're leading us into destruction. Okay. But here, very interesting. Again, this, the Bible has been proven true as a historical book, historical book, time and time again. In the previous chapter, there's a footnote about the Hittites. Dr. Cow- and I'm going to quote from it. Dr. Cowley suggests the possibility that the Midianites of the Bible were the Mitanni of northern Syria mentioned in the Amarna tablets. Higher critics admit the the probability that Jethro greatly influenced Moses. Yes, he did. (laughs) Right? We read the legislation on Mount Sinai, Horeb, which apparently occupies a very important place in tradition, is really secondary. She's quoting somebody here. Well, that's not true. It's, It's primary. More prominence is evidently to be ascribed to the influence of the half-Arabian Jethro or Hobab. No, he was not half-Arabian. He was a Midianite. He was a descendant of Abraham and Keturah. He was closely related to Abraham. Okay? So, but this is in the Bible, which, you know, at this point in time, you know, we're talking the turn of the 20th century, biblical scholarship was pretty much already Judeo-Christian and made a lot of assumptions about who is who and what's what, and most of those assumptions were false. So the Shemites are the direct descendants of Adam, pure blood, period. The perception of these archaeologists, both pro-biblical and anti-biblical, is that the Shemites were hook-nosed kites, right? And the Adamites, or Aryans, were the Indo-Aryans, and they made a distinction between the two. But that perception is based on the lie given by the Jews that they are Shemites. Okay? So only those of us in identity can see through that lie and see, well, the Shemites weren't hook-nosed kikes. They look just like us. Okay? Like the Caucasian people. So, in addition, the Hittites, secular scholarship, denied the existence of the Hittite Empire because there wasn't any secular evidence for it. It was only in the Bible. So they just they poo-pooed the Bible because, oh, here, the Hittites, there's no evidence that these Hittites ever existed. The Bible is just telling more fairy tales. Okay? Again and again and again, the secularists have been proven wrong that the Bible is true and they are mere speculation, uh, you know, profferers for lack of, you know, they're purveying speculation as if it were science. And that same is true of Big Pharma. Okay, this is where the world is at, folks. It's one big lie versus the Bible. Back to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so. Uh, the Cambridge history tell us that the problem of uh, the term Semitic is acute. It's acute. Uh, that it, it is. Quote, more um, 
convenient than um, accurate and is uh, derived from Shem, a son of Noah, the hero of the deluge, end quote. Well, yeah, it is uh, derived from Shem, and it is accurate, not convenient. Okay, again, this is the state of scholarship where people still believe this nonsense that uh, it's the word Shem or Shemite is more of a linguistic term rather than a racial term. Again, the division in their minds is that the Shemites were hook-nosed kikes and that the Aryans were unrelated to them. So uh, th- this, uh, the quotation she's giving here reflect that uh, imperfect knowledge. Back to you. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it offers new solutions of the problem. Surely it is the use made of the word which is puzzling and not the word itself. For nothing could be more self-evident than its meaning, quote, related to Shem or his reputed descendants, end quote. <laughs> right? So here it shows. The secular scholarship denies that Shem was a real person. Yeah. And this, this was from the... Imp- yeah. Yeah. And okay. This, and this was from the Imperial Dictionary, that quote. Right? <laughs> Who's who's Imperial Dictionary? <laughs> okay. Rothschild. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, why, for instance, do um, astrologists describe Sargon of Akkad as Semitic, when according to monumental evidence he lived about three thousand eight hundred BC, long before Shem's time? The ambiguous use of the word Semite can be traced to two German professors who, about the year um, 1790, proposed that thenceforth the word should mean oriental. Okay, so that was a big mistake. It should mean Aryan. Yeah, it should. Mm-hmm. It should. Okay. And this, and this was apparently from the Central Dictionary, uh, Semitic. Mm-hmm. So, so to, just to be clear, the word Shemite is a person who d- d- direct descendant of our ancestor Shem. Period. That's what it means. Don't let anybody tell you any different. They're all wrong. That's what it means. Shem was a real person. He's in the line of Adam, and we in Caucasian Israel are Shem's direct descendant. And that's that's the only proper use of the word Shemitic to be a direct descendant of Shem. Back to you. Yes, and I guess also that is why that the Jews call everybody against them as anti anti Semitic, yeah. but they are the the world's foremost anti Semitic. Yeah. Right, and we're Gentiles. <laughs> right. Okay, that's a whole other story. Let's not get into that one. Okay, back to you. Yeah, and unfortunately, later scholars following the German lead used the word Semitic at one time. A bracket especially in connection with languages and bracket, as meaning oriental and at other times as meaning related in some way to Shem. And this causes confusion. For sure. Um, Just like the word Gentile and the word Jew cause confusion. So how can anybody understand the Bible when there's this much confusion about identifying who is who and what is what? Yeah, but this confusion must be put in by our oh, our enemy. enemy the... Yes, the perfidious Jews, yes. 
Yeah, okay. they want to make us Confucius. We don't know who we are, but they know who they yeah, are. Even Confucius was confused by this. Okay, back to you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And if, as I claim, Sargon was Cain, he should be called an Adamite rather than a Semite. That's correct. Yeah. And his subjects, who are called Sumerians or Akkadians by an Assyriologist, on account of the geographical um, terms summer and Akkad, found in the inscriptions were, of course, pre-Adamites. Poets and painters have uh, depicted Cain as going into exile, accompanied by an Adamite wife and family. But the Bible leads us to infer that before the birth of Seth, only Cain and Abel had been born to Adam and Eve. We are prepared, therefore, to find that Cain had settled among a non-Adamite race when he built a city and founded a family. And as we shall see, modern discoveries go to prove this. Okay, very good. There were other people outside the garden already living in what we call today Mesopotamia. No doubt about this. And we're on page uh, 14, uh, moving into chapter 4, the pre-Adamites. So let's see what Mrs. Sidney Bristow has to say about pre-Adamites. Okay, those of us in identity, especially two seed lines, understand that the non-Adamic people were already created before the Adamic species in Genesis 1, 24, and 25. And the Adamites, those who show blood in the face, were for, formed created first, male and female, he created them in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and then two specific pre-Adamites, you know, who are actually white, right, let's call them Aryans, uh, were, were selected, namely the man Adam and the woman Eve, and Yahweh breathed the breath of life into them, thus elevating them to a higher level than the, the, uh, the pool they were selected from. Okay, uh, let's see what the, how Mrs. Cindy Bristow analyzes this. Back to you. Thank you. Um, here, another dig- um, digression became necessary. It is generally th- uh, thought that the Bible teaches that Adam was the first human being. But in that case, it would seriously contradict itself in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Although that chapter contains bracket as one of the latest um, the sectors of the Bible shows and bracket the sectors one unbroken narrative in that chapter Cain says uh, and quote my punishment is more than I can bear behold thou has driven me out this day from the face of the earth and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me and quote, and that's from the authorized version. Yeah. So who's that? Who's that? Everyone, <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, that's my question too, because he's still he, they are still alive today, and they are a pricks in our eyes. That's right. Because our ancestor under uh, Saul didn't do his commandments. Mm-hmm. He didn't. It's still a yeah. greedy and want to take their money and as slaves and cattle and all that. 
Right, so the uh, Judeo-Christian theologians have done the world a great disservice by suggest by not really following the logic of the first few chapters of Genesis and concluding, number one, that uh, Eve was seduced by a literal snake, <laughs> right? And number two, that there were no other people besides Adam, uh, Eve, Cain, and Abel, and then, of course, later Seth. No, you'd have to trace the beast of the field and the beast of the earth as being there's two-legged beasts of the field and two-legged beasts of the earth that were living around the time of Adam and Eve, and those are the people to which Cain moved. Back to you. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, since, according to the Bible, Cain and his parents were the only Adamites in existence, at that time, he must be understood to refer to pre-Adamites, unknown people among whom he was being driven forth. And we are told that a mark was put upon him as a protection against those people. This shows that although we may assume that Adam was the first man into whom God uh, breathed a, um, quote, living soul, end quote, he was not the first human being upon the earth. Nor was he the first Aryan. Okay. He was especially selected by Yahweh in chapter 2, where we're only speaking of the man Adam and the woman Eve. The race was created in Genesis chapter 1. Male and female, he created them in the, in the plural, folks. Okay. So, and then the Adam and Eve scenario comes after the thousand years of uh, rest the so-called day of rest, in, uh, in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. So it's, it's all in chronological order. Okay, So the Adamites had a thousand years to propagate before the episode in Genesis chapter 2. Back to you. Okay, thank you. As Cain is afterwards said to have built a city and called it after his elder son, he must presumably have gained an... Um, ascendancy over those pre-Adamites, although he went alone am among them. If, as Professor Say thinks, uh, uh, probable Babylonia was the country to which Cain journeyed, and if, as the same authority suggests, the first inhabitants of that country were blacks, it is easy to manage Cain. Uh, let's see. A white and endowed with superhuman knowledge and physics and rendered invulnerable by some divine talisman taking command over those pre-Adamites and that he did um, so seems proved by the fact that he built a city and called it after his son Enoch okay and and let's not forget that there were, there were two Enochs, one who uh, devolved from Cain and the other descended from Seth. Okay, again, this is all designed to create confusion. <laughs> you know, well, which Enoch are we talking about, right? Which Kenites are we talking about? Are we talking about the metalsmiths or the direct descendants of Cain, right? These, these words, uh, as uh, Ruth, the so-called Moabitess, they have racial significance, and then they have territorial significance. So we have to keep all that in mind to figure out what's going on. 
Okay, but uh, Mrs. Bristow is absolutely right that there there's two streams <laughs> going forth from the garden, and yes, Cain was driven to the east, right? So if the if northern Mesopotamia is the location of the garden, then east of that would be Babylonia. Okay, back to you. Uh, thank you. And we had um, uh, a little um, not a reference to the country where blacks on previous page 15, so I can read it. Okay. And that was number three. Quote, As however, M, now I cannot really pronounce this, uh, the, the law voice excavation on the site of uh, Susa have brought to light and enabled bricks of the Elamite period on which a black race of mankind is portrayed. Mm. It may mean that the primitive populations of Chaldea was um, black-skinned, end quote. Okay. And that was Hebert Lectures. Yeah, so uh, I think we can assume, because uh, the Dravidians of South India were black-skinned as well, and uh, had Negroid features, facial features also, it, that wasn't all that far away. Okay. So, uh, and, uh, but I think, uh, this whole area was actually conquered by Aryans, and the, uh, black skinned people were eventually driven out, so the very, very few, if any, left by the time of, uh, Abraham. Okay. Back to you. Thank you. So, okay. let's see. Uh, we see, therefore, that the Bible sanctions the belief in the pre Adamites and that the oldest monuments in the world indicate that they were blacks. In fact, both the Bible and modern science confirm these assumptions. The Bible, by showing that only eight of Adam's race were saved in the ark, demands a belief in a, in a previous black race to account for the existence of blacks in Later history. Indeed, all, all races, they all survived the flood. <laughs> okay. They all survived oh, yeah. the flood. Yes, back to you. Yeah. For how could the Ethiopians who, to uh, prophet remarks, could no more change his skin than <laughs> the leopard his spots? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have descended from Noah. As science, by discovering the fundamental physical differences between the blacks and white races, um, has shown the fallacy of the old idea that they had a common origin and that either the white race was involved from the blacks or the blacks were sunburned brothers of the white men. Right. Well, of course, they also teach that all races came from Adam and Eve. Yes. Yeah, but that's awful. Yeah, right. It's ridiculous. But that's what most of the people in the world believe. Yeah, but then okay. you may... Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. Here, here too, I hear people, everybody came from Adam and Eve. The Orientals right. and, and the white. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Impossible genetically. Yeah. Okay, let's continue. My claim that the black race was a separate creation previous to Adam, may be thought to contradict St. Paul's statement that God, quote, has made of one blood all nations of men, end quote. But 
that is a reference to Israelite, not the Adam, right. only about Israel. Right, and the word blood was added by the translators. That word blood is not in there. Ah. In the original documents. Okay. All name. Okay. So that's right? a reference to Israelites. Yes, exactly. Uh, and Adamites. They did not consider, uh, even as late as the 1700s in America, when our Declaration of Independence was written, blacks were not counted as men. Okay? Only Aryans were counted as men. Uh-huh. So, okay? So, uh, again, it's how you do, <laughs> all men are created equal. Well, how can Thomas Jefferson, who composed that, then later say, actually even earlier in his uh, book, uh, Notes on Virginia, state that blacks are inferior to whites, and they are not incl- included as citizens of America, voting citizens. Okay, they're just residents. So it's it's really obvious that uh, this this tendency to equate all races as devolving from Adam is a fiction. And this fiction has to be maintained by the Jews in order to confuse us. Back to you. Yeah, so they can, Hmm. I guess, also still um, push this multicultural honor. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Try to amalgamate our race away from existence. Mm -hmm. How's that working? (laughs) Is that... You know, when you import Mexicans from uh, the south, uh, the border, have they have no commonality to our culture whatsoever and have only been brought here to destroy us. Okay, this is part of the race war prophesied in the end times. Two-thirds of our people will perish. Okay? Yeah. Okay. And here we have the, the Arabs. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, I must therefore explain my belief that the apostles only referred to white people. My uh, connection being that the word man, bracket, used synonymously with Adam in Genesis chapter 2, and bracket, uh, distinguished Adam from the pre-Adamites and has continued to distinguish his descendants from the black race all through history. Do we of the present day ever call a Negro a man without using the adjective um, black? Um, in Second Samuel, uh, and this is then chapter 19, uh, 12, I guess, if I'm good at this, at this uh, oh, okay. Roman numbers here. And then we have Isaiah... Yeah, here I'm a bit. No, I think I need your help. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you can just avoid these references. Don't worry about them. Okay. If yeah. I say I am also a Corinthians, the word man is used as a distinction, just as we say, quote, like a man, end quote, quote, be a man, end quote, or, quote, he is a man, end quote. The fact that the word, quote, man, end quote, meant a thinker, suggests that the, quote, living soul, end quote, breathed into Adam, raised him above some previously created race. There you go. In- Well-reasoned. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the uh, what I call the Cro-Magnon, the white race that was created in Genesis chapter 1. Okay. Mm-hmm. Of which he was a descendant. Okay. Yeah. In Sanskrit literature, the first man is called Manu, or Minu. Menu. 
It will be shown later that the mon monument supports my theory that the word, quote, man, end quote, distinguish Adam's race from the pre-Adamites. To show blood in the face, <laughs> right? Now, by the way, uh, uh, Brother Hebert, uh suggests the possibility that, uh, that the Aztecs and Mexicans uh, may even be related to Cain. The fact is that the city, Mexico City, was originally called Tenochtitlan, which means City of Enoch. Okay? With Enoch. <laughs> yeah. Mexico City. So it's quite possible that Cain actually traveled to the Americas and uh, founded a city there. All right, back to you. Yeah, hadn't some, I don't remember the researcher that come to the conclusion that Mexicans that has an Many Mexicans derived are of Jewish descent. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's more recent. <laughs> but you're, you're correct. Since Jews are descendants of Cain, right? And, you know, you have to wonder why the Aztecs just love to tear the hearts out of living people to sacrifice them. Man, what a, you know, grotesque ritual that was. But they're actually doing it again today to our babies. Mexican, very good. <laughs> Back to you. Yes, okay. So let's continue. Um, just as the discovery that a black race existed at the beginning of history supports the Bible's testimony that all through Adam was the first man. He was not the first human being. So does the continued existence of that black race prove that the deluge was not universal. Amen. She's using logic. <laughs> no, that's forbidden. You're not to use logic. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Noah's son, we're surely white men. Amen. Therefore, yeah, therefore, quote, Hamites, end quote, of later days must have been the result of the intermarriage of Ham's family with some black race, well, which has survived the deluge. Okay, well, that came much later, many generations after Ham, because the pharaohs of Egypt, if you look at any documentary of Egypt and look at the visages of those statues, they're all Aryan. Every last one of them is Aryan. Now, later on, there was a, a period, a very short period, where blacks invaded uh, you know, Egypt, and they ruled for maybe a 100 years at the most, where you have statues of blacks. But if you just go through the rows and rows and rows of statues and look at their faces, they're all Aryan faces. And, of course, uh, well, King Tut, his DNA was done, and it was 99.9, well, maybe 99.5 percent Aryan, okay? Uh, Caucasian. So, uh, yeah, uh, this, uh, what she's talking about here, I don't know if she believes what the rabbis teach, that the Hamites were black, or but she, uh, she seems to be suggesting that the Hamites intermarried with blacks. That did happen, but w w almost in modern times. It was so late. Back to you. Yes. Um, okay, thank you. In the Bible... Um, story of the deluge. The meaning of the writer has obviously been misinterpreted. Uh, mis misinterpreted, yeah. Misinterpreted uh, by the translator of the authorized version. The Hebrew word Eretz has been translated by them, quote, the earth, end quote, or 
quote, all earth, end quote, um, which has caused us to think that the Bible teaches that the deluge was universal and destroyed every human being and animal in the whole world, with the exceptions of Noah's family. Yeah, and the secularists are snickering, right? <laughs> yeah, okay. There's no evidence of this, but that's the interpretation of the King James translators, unfortunately. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The word Eretz, however, also means, quote, country, end quote, um, quote, land, end quote, or, quote, district, end quote, and is used in the sense in the story of Cain, who says, quote, Behold, who has driven me out of out this day from the face of the earth, end quote. And face here really means a, a facet or a particular territory. As the Bible tells, he was driven out of the garden to the east. He was not driven off the planet. Okay, back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sentence, the word Eretz is translated by Pharaoh Fenton, quote, this land, end quote, and by Dr. Moffat, uh, quote, the country, end quote which are obviously better translations. Amen. One commentator says of the word Eretz, quote, as in many of these passages, it might seem as if the habitable globe were intended the use of so ambiguous a term as, uh, quote, the earth, end quote, should have been, end quote. Avoided, well, here, actually, yeah, go ahead, finish the quote, because it continues on the next page. Okay, so uh, that, that, the, uh, that the term, the earth, should have been avoided, and the original rendered by land, as in Leviticus 25, verse 23, Isaiah, etc., etc., okay, from Kitto's Cyclopedia of Bible Literature. But the footnote at the bottom of page 17, number one here, many, uh, sorry, Minu, M-E-N-U, dash, Swayambhuva. Minu, Swayambhuva, is certainly Adam, and he is described as preceding by several generations Minu Saivrata, who is certainly Noah, unquote, origin of pagan mythology by Faber. Okay? As we've been discussing in our analysis of the Indo-Aryans in the last few shows we've done, those people were descended from Adam and Eve. They were Sethites, okay, living in, in India. And then they were later joined by uh, the Keturians, the sons of Keturah and Abraham, who were sent east by Abraham and giving them a brand new culture because they, they eventually, they, they certainly took over that area, all right? So again, archaeology is on our, our side, real archaeology. Yeah, right. <laughs> Swamp Fox says, you mean they were kings in Egypt, right? Yeah, there's there's actually in Chicago, there's a black-owned business called Kangs. <laughs> it's a it's an auto repair shop. I don't know if they're being facetious or what. Back to you, Michael. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, that the writer of Genesis did not intend to teach that the deluge was universal can um, scarcely be doubted. For if it had been universal... And if only Noah's family had been preserved out of the whole world, not only would the existence of the black race have been 
inexplicable, but also that of the um, the descendants of the pre uh, no- Noachian giant. No, I cannot repronounce that. Yeah, you're close, Noachian. Yes, Noachian giants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the bracket, the ne- Nephilim or monsters, and bracket found in Palestine in the time of Moses and Joshua. Amen. Again, she's using logic, which is uncommon for Christians, <laughs> especially Judeo-Christians. All right. Yeah, but she must have been a two-seed liner. Oh, yeah. I don't think the, the term two-seed liners didn't exist yet, okay? But she is definitely, she's talking about two streams from Genesis, okay? So she, she definitely is a two-seed liner, no doubt about it. Okay. Um, we may therefore conclude that when Noah was told that, quote, all men, end quote, and, quote, all flesh, end quote, upon them, end quote, earth, end quote, were to be destroyed only the animites and the animals in the district inhabited by them, we are referred to. That's correct. Very good. Wild beasts would naturally have been exterminated in that district. So we may uh, dispense with the curious pictures of every kind of wild beast possessing into the ark. For obviously, Noah was only uh, commanded to preserve the animals useful to mankind, right. which had been allowed to remain in the district the district populated by well, the Adamites. Well, that's a very good picture that she draws here because the ramps leading into Noah's Ark would probably take uh, 100 years or more for all of the species on the planet uh, to, what, uh, five pairs of clean, uh, or two pairs of, yeah, five pairs of clean and two pairs of unclean. Given the, the millions of species on the planet, they'd, they'd still be marching up those ramps, okay? There's no way the Ark could float with uh, such a humongous amount of animals. Absolutely no way. Okay, so it's very clear that the biblical interpretation that the flood was global and that all these millions, it has to be millions, folks, of animals were on board the ark. It's just ridiculous. It's an utterly ridiculous proposition. Back to you. Yes, it is surely easier to accept these explanations uh, of the seeming contradictions in the book of Genesis than to allow that the, that the Bible contradicts itself. Amen. It is hoped that this um, digression will serve its purpose in persuading the reader that both the Bible and science, as well as common sense, justifies the uh, hypothesis that Cain settled among black pre-Adamites in, quote, the land of Nod, end quote, and a bracket, Babylonia, end bracket, after his expulsion from the land of his birth. Okay, the only point I would disagree with is that it's not necessarily blacks that lived in that area, because, you know, as we've been saying, the, the pre-Adamites of Genesis chapter 1 probably lived there as well. And they, they populated uh, the coast of... Uh, the west coast of Europe as well, because archaeologists have discovered, you know, uh, sites with bones and uh, fireplaces, etc., etc., that go back 10,000 BC. Okay, so the Sethites got around, 
unlike you know most people assume. And even the Israelites got around in ships. They came to America and mined copper in Michigan and brought it back to Solomon. Right? The idea that these people just lived in one tiny little area is false. The the Genesis account is confined to this area, but the the Adamites were all over the place. Okay, and uh, unlike the blacks who did not migrate. They tended to stay where they were. My assumption is that the blacks that were here, the black-skinned people, were brought up you know, by ship and used as slaves. That's how I think they got there. Okay. So back to you. Thank you. Okay. So this is Dan. I'm in internal support for my theory. Uh, the latest writers upon the Babylonian inscriptions, I'm internally, I'm intentionally, supported my theory that while the knowledge possessed by Adam was preserved in Seth's branch of the family in the form made familiar to us by the Bible, it was taken into Babylonia by Cain and there parody. Parody is uh, kind of making fun of something. Okay. Uh All right. Uh, But copied. I think she means copied. And that's true. The Epic of Gilgamesh is a parallel account of the flood of Noah. And it's obvious that Gilgamesh survived the flood. (laughs) Otherwise, we wouldn't have that account, right? And there's accounts of uh, the flood, the the deluge, properly. That is the heavy rain. And some flooding. those, Those accounts exist all over the world. They weren't brought there by the Spanish conquistadors. They were already there to the amazement of the conquistadors and the Catholic priests that followed them. How did you know about the flood? Well, it happened here too. (laughs) Okay, but we survived just like you did. I mean, obviously the Catholic Church did not want this knowledge to be spread abroad that these savages in the Americas knew about the flood. Because that would that would challenge the uh, that all races come from Adam and Eve and from Noah and his family. They can't have that, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. it's also that the uh, Chinese uh, Chinese history they also teach about the deluge. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So and and the Bible also, of course, as we know, it did happen. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, again, this just goes to the fact that the biblical scholarship, the non-identity biblical scholarship, simply refuses to teach the covenant message. Because that's what the Bible, from beginning to end, from Adam down to Yahshua, and we, the descendants of that race, the covenant people, that's what the Bible teaches. The covenant people message. And only we, the direct descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, count as those people. And that's what the Bible is talking about. It's not talking about any other people, except when the Israelites confront them. All right? But they they want to teach that the Bible was created for every race, and that we're supposed to save all the other races. We can't even save ourselves. All right? Yeah. We should start. Yeah. Silly Judeos. That's what they are. Back to you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They are silly. You start up with your start up to clean up your own house before you go to someone. Oh no, they'll they'll never do that. <laughs> oh, sorry, I I know, but <laughs> yeah. Here, here's a mop and a bucket. <laughs> See what you can do. 
I don't, All right. I don't think they're going to be kept well. No. <laughs> yeah, Yahweh's going to clean house at the judgment yeah, day. He, Boy. Yeah, he will. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, All right. appreciation. Yeah, parodies. Yeah, yeah. the Epic of Gilgamesh is, has some similarities to the biblical account, but in the main it's very much different. And it's written by a different person other than Moses. Okay, back to you. Um, okay, to appreciate their support. However, we must substitute the word Adamites for the word Semites in the following quotation. That's correct. Yes. Because Shem came many generations after Adam. Right? Yeah. Something like 11, 12 generations. Back to you. Uh, for the writers are speaking of people who lived before Shem. Amen. And we, yes. And who therefore cannot actually be called Semites. Dr. Clay, in 1923, published a book in America in which he says, quote, Azurogrist, um, uh, as far as I know, have generally dismissed as an impossibility the idea that there was a common Semitic tradition which developed in Israel in one way and in Babylonia in another. They have unreservedly declared that the biblical stories have been borrowed from Babylonia, in which land they were indigenous. To me, it has always seemed perfectly reasonable that both stories had a common origin among uh, the Semites, some of whom entered Babylonia, while others carried their traditions into Palestine, end quote. Okay, very well reasoned. Again, we're talking about scholarship that is around the turn of the 20th century, okay? And uh, again, but the word Shemite is being used in a very, very general sense, namely, you know, the Israelites of the Bible and their predecessors. But, uh, you know, she's correct. It should be, they should be called Adamites, not Shemites, okay? Just to be chronologically correct, okay? Back to you. Yeah, and this was from the... Uh, from the Origin of Biblical Traditions by A.T. Clay. Okay. Uh, Professor Delaporte of Paris, who holds the same opinion, published the following statement in 1925. Quote, If the theory that the first Semites to settle among the Sumerians were a branch sprung from the group of the Western Semites be confirmed, confirmed then the pan-Babylonian thesis falls to the ground completely. The civilization of Israel would then uh, no longer be wholly a reflection of that of Babylon. The traditions preserved in the book of Genesis would not not be importance from Chaldea. Importations. Importations from from Chaldea. Again, what uh, she is arguing is that there's two separate streams of tradition. One through Adam and Seth, and the other through Cain. All right? And that Babylonian tradition comes from Cain. Okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on the contrary, it would be the Semites who introduced them in the last stage of their eastward wanderings to the Sumerians and the latter who adopted them, end quote. Okay, well, yeah, he's arguing, well, the, the Babylonians got their story from the sh- so-called Shemites, okay, which they, may be partially true, but 
like we were saying, they, they experienced the flood themselves, and it's a separate, completely separate tradition. The Epic of Gilgamesh has nothing to do with the biblical story of Moses. It was a separate historical account. Back to you. Yeah. And this was from the book Mesopotamia. Potomia. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It will um, scarcely be denied that these views pour the way pave, for... Pave the, pave pave, the way. Yeah. Pave the way uh, for my claims that Cain took the knowledge which he snared with his parents. Oh, shared. That's a, mis- uh, that's a misprint. <laughs> shared. <laughs> right. With his parents. Uh, yes. Okay. Into Babylonia. And that the inscriptions which have been regarded as the origin of the Genesis stories are the result. They also support Professor Kiddo's opinion that the knowledge imparted to man in the beginning has come down into streams, on one hand through the Hebrews and on the other through the Babylonians. Well said. Well said. All right, chapter 6, Sargon. Let's get uh, down to the nitty-gritty here. Who is Sargon? Yeah, Sargon of Akkad. My claim that Cain was the great Sargon above whom Babylonian inscriptions had much to say invites adverse criticism and perhaps ridicule from those who see no connections between early Babylonian history and the first chapter of Genesis. Since, however, George Smith, uh, Brackett, the first decipher of the um, Cuneiform. Cuneiform. Inscriptions, yes. Inscriptions and bracket. And Professor says, identifies the Babylonian hero um, is Isdubar or Gilgames. Gilgamesh. 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 Yeah, there should be an H at the end of Gilgamesh. It's, it ends with an S, which is incorrect. Okay, back to you. With the biblical Nimrod. And since Noah appears on another name in the Babylonian story of Deluge, it can hardly be regarded as incredible uh, uh, that Cain should also appear in the inscriptions, especially as the name Sargon may, as well as we shall see, be the Babylonian for, quote, King Cain, and quote. And the word Sar uh, survives into modern times in Sargent, okay? So it means a, a person of authority, especially military authority, okay? And Gan is just a, a, another version or another way of pronouncing Cain or Khan. Sar Khan, right? Could, it could be pronounced that way as well. Okay, back to you. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah so as, and- as in uh, Eliza Kagan, <laughs> Jewish film producer, right? I mean, well, come on, folks. They, they have their name imprinted upon themselves. Okay, back to you. His yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, Professor King considered that the Babylonian and Egyptian leg- legends were based upon true history. Amen. Right. Okay. Uh, quote, there is another element in many of their legends which must not be lost sight of, and that is the um, substratum uh, of historical fact which underlines the story and was the nucleus around uh, which is gathered. Echos from the history, echoes from the history of the remote past may perhaps be traced and uh, quote. 
And this was from Books on Egypt and Chaldea. Okay, uh, let me uh, go down to the footnote here, number one here. In the Hibbert Lectures, 1887, Professor Say says, quote, There are grounds for thinking that Mr. George Smith was right in seeing in him Gilgamesh, the prototype of the biblical Nimrod. He seems, however, to have changed his opinion, for in religions of ancient Egypt and Babylonia, he says that Assyriologists were, quote, long seduced into trying to identify Gilgamesh with Nimrod, but that it was not with him, but with the Greek Heracles that the Babylonian hero was related. My suggestion is that both these pagan heroes may have represented Nimrod, for as I show later, the biblical characters appear under different names in the mythologies of Babylonia and Greece. Okay, so uh, certainly Nimrod, well, although as a descendant of Ham, may have intermarried with the Kenite line. Okay. But I think it's false to identify him with Gilgamesh because Nimrod, as a descendant of Ham, we have to believe the biblical account, came later. Back to you. Thank you. Okay. Um, to invite at the outset a certain amount of confidence in my theory, I mention here the following indications which will be um, dealt with more fully later. To begin with, Professor Say's opinion that Cain may have built the Babylonian city of Unuk and Erech shows that there is nothing improbable in my claim that Babylonia was the biblical, quote, land of Nod, end quote, to which Cain journeyed, and allowing that Cain built that Babylonian city. The fact that Sargon is said in inscriptions to have regained it. Reigned. Reigned in it, yes. At once, connect the two. Um, uh, footnote, okay, Cambridge History, was that for? Yeah. One. According to another authority, the civilization of Babylonia arrived there suddenly and unaccountably, as Cain would have done. While the Babylonians relate how Sargon arrived mysteriously in Babylonia, that he was... Um, gardener when Zhang and reigned in later years over people called um, quote the men of the black-headed race end quote okay uh, let me the footnote here is Hibbert lectures 1887 or the blackheads unquote back to you thank you all of which agrees with the assumption that he was king bracket the tiller of the ground and bracket who settled among black pre-Adamites. Another important fact is that Sargon's language, bracket, ancient Babylonia, and bracket, resembled Hebrew, which was presumably that of Cain. Professor Says writes, um, quote, There is, however, one Semitic language which has the closest affinities to Hebrew, and this is also the language in which he possesses records older than those of the Hebrew scripture. I need hardly say I'm referring to Assyrian and the bracket, i.e. Babylonia. And uh, which, which is also called Chaldean. Okay, Chaldean. So uh, the Chaldean language, and there's a lot of Chaldean words in the Bible, in addition to Hebrew words, okay? 
So it's, it's part of the two streams, one from Cain, one from Seth. Yeah, and I have a question here. Um, they say that they resembled Hebrew, but Hebrew wasn't that language derived from Heber, Heber, the right. son. So it could have been Hebrew. Well, t- technically, yes. Again, this is a uh, an, an, an anachronism, uh, but I agree. I would call it p- Proto-Hebrew, because certainly Ham, Shem, and Japheth spoke the same language, right? Okay, and they gave it to Eber, Shem's descendant. Okay, so they probably were speaking a version of Hebrew already. Okay, and that was probably spoken in the garden by Adam and Eve, etc. Okay, so this but would explain the similarity of the Chaldean, which descended from the other side, other stream of uh, descendants, okay, through Cain, and Hebrew, which descended from Adam through Seth. So you would expect those two languages to be similar. Back to you. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Um, amazing things uh, about Sargon have been gathered from the Babylonian inscriptions, and at least one port. Uh, portrait of him has been found which is thus described quote only one sculptured uh, monument of Sargon has been recovered it is a large triangular monolith found at uh, Susa the king according to Semitic fashion has a long beard uh, reaching to his waist heavy moustache and his long hair is rolled into a huge um, shig- uh, shignon at the back of his neck. Okay, uh, not sure what shignon means, but it's gathered, gathered. Maybe it was dreadlocks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Shignon, okay. C-H-I-G-N-O-N, a word I've never come across before. Back to you. <laughs> yeah, and there is, I don't know if this is the picture down on the left-hand side, this is a Naram Sin is that is um, supposed to then resemble um, um, right Cain. that yeah that evidently is Cain yeah uh, and that quote was on Cambridge history Professor King says that if quote any one point in early Babylonian history was to be regarded as um, certainly established it was the historical character of Sargon of um, Agage. This is another way of spelling Akkad. Akkad, A-K-K-A-D, and here it's spelled A-G-A-D-E. Okay, okay. Yeah. You for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Sargon's reign forms the most important epoch in the early history of his country. There you go. Quote. Very good. Sumer and Akkad. And, yeah, that's pronounced Sumer. Uh, Sumeria and Akkad. Sumeria came first. It was later called Akkad. But uh, again, the, the scholars mixed the terms up in uh, an anachron- <laughs> what's it, anachronism. Uh, they're, they're, they're using two different words as synonyms when they really should be chronologically uh, accounted for, and they're not in, in all these commentaries. So Sumer came first and Akkad. Back to you. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fr- Dr. Hall writes, and uh, quote, Few monarchs of the ancient world are so well known to us, modern, who are interested in these subjects as Sargon of um, Agade. Agade. 
And we may say that um, to the Babylonians, he was their hero of heroes, their menace, Charlemagne or Alfred the Great, and quote. And uh, for me in Sweden, uh, Gustav Adolfus, I would say, that was okay. our, <laughs> he was almost as great as Charlemagne and Alfred the Great. Never heard of him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, a great hero for the Swedes. Amen. Okay. Yeah. And so this was from Ancient History of the Near East. Now, of course, the reason why both the Judeos and the secular archaeologists don't want to touch this subject is because they believe that all races came from Adam and Eve. So they don't want this belief, even though real archaeology and uh, real uh, you know, genetics prove otherwise. They want to maintain that the archaeologists, the secular archaeologists want us to believe the rabbinical myth that all races came from Adam and Eve. Okay, They, they want to maintain this confusion. They don't want the Bible to be clarified. So that's we have these two strains of thought, Judeo-Christian, which is very much opposed to the covenant message, and secular archaeology, which is also opposed to the covenant message. So the truth lies in the middle, and we're proclaiming it right here. Back to you. Yeah, and it's only the, what do you say, it's only the the rabbis that, that is beneficial of this big right. confusion. Amen. They are, and then they make up new lies as they go, I guess. And then, yeah, they get caught sometimes and another on all their lies. Yes. Okay. And let's then continue. Um, we have now, uh, in the Cambridge history, we read, quote, the fame of Sargon was such that a range of mountains in the Lebanon re region uh, from which um, Frankin, Frankensus... Frankincense, Frankincense, okay. Frankincense. Uh, also, uh, from whatever language, Lupanu. Frankincense was called Lupanu in whatever language he's referring to. Not sure. Back to you. Mm -hmm. From which Frankincense um, was obtained. Uh, okay. It was obtained. What? Yeah. Yeah, was named the Mountain of Sargon. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Sargon divided his vast empire from the lower sea to the upper sea, uh, from the uh, rising uh, rising to the setting of the sun into uh, districts of five double hours march, each over which he placed the, quote, sons of his uh, palace, end quote, by this delegates of his authority he ruled the host of the lands all together okay mm -hmm. so we see here this uh, on page 22 where naram sin is depicted uh, representing uh, according to mrs bristow kane himself he would have been an aryan looking person because the fallen angels were aryan looking creatures Okay, they they weren't black. They weren't Orient. They were looked. They looked like Aryans. Okay, and uh, all of the uh, I was going to say theology, all of the knowledge we have from those who depict the fallen angels and the giants that resulted from them were Aryan-looking. 
All right, they had Nordic-looking features. So there's no doubt that Cain looked Aryan and could have easily been mistaken for an Adamite, which he was not. He was that other stream. But that other stream began to intermarry with other races, and therefore today, well, even Jews today, who descend from that second stream, from Cain, some of them look very Aryan, but most of them don't. Okay, and the more modern Jews look Aryan because they've intermarried with our race. But that that stream intermarried with other races. It, it, clearly, if you look at depictions of Jews throughout history, they intermarried with blacks, with Orientals, with Arabians, etc., etc., so that they are the most multi-culti, race-mixed people on the face of the earth, which proves that they can't be Israelites because the Israelites were forbidden to intermarry with the other races. Now, that alone should tell you that the Jews are not Israelites. Back to you. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> our people have forgotten the, I don't know, they've forgotten the uh, the logical thinking that Mr. Yeah. Bristle is showing. Yeah. Now, the other uh, picture on page 22 showing Sumerian royalties shows a bunch of hook-nosed, <laughs> receding forehead people uh, wearing skirts of some kind. Okay, and uh, these are consistent. There's uh, five depictions, sorry, six depictions of the so-called blackheads, but they don't look, they don't look uh, negroid. But uh, they're maybe they're, because their heads are shaved, you can't see, you know, a lot of their features or whether they had blackheads because they're called blackheads in this book. But uh, they're they're to me they're half breeds. They look like half-breeds to me. Okay, back to you. Thank you. Uh, my suggestions um, is that these, uh, quote, sons of uh, his palace, end uh, quote, were Cain's own descendants, and that they helped him to rule the inferior race, uh, bracket, the pre-Adamite, end bracket. The inscriptions show that Sargon may made war against people of his own race and prisoners Mm -hmm. with whom he populated some of his cities. Yeah. Yeah. And all this indicates that there were vast numbers of people all over the the world already. Okay. Which is archaeologically correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, It is probable that he had Adamite wives and that some of those uh, quote, sons of his palace, end quote, were pure Adamites. As the mount, uh, monuments show um, his son, Naram Sin, to have been. Aha, that was his son, not yeah. himself. Okay, very good. Okay, that was his son. Yeah, and as I said, they, they would have had Aryan features because the fallen angels did. All right, back to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we read that Sargon, quote, made successful expeditions and that with the um, conquered peoples of those countries he peopled he peopled Akkad end quote yeah very good and that from stories of the na- of the nations Chaldea and there's a lot of interesting um, what say reference in this book also the books to look further into I think to what uh, books to uh, to find and to read those because they are the interesting oh, books. Oh, yeah. Oh, these are all very obscure archaeological books. <laughs> Good luck finding them, right? Ah, uh, you think? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they have been put in the memory hole, I guess. Oh, that's right. Okay, so here we have Professor King writes, quote, In some versions of his new records, Sargon state that 5,000 foreign men daily eat bread before him. Mm. Though the figure may be intended to convey an idea of the size of Sargon's court, we may perhaps see in it a not inaccurate statement of the total strength of his armed force, end quote. And that is Legends of Babylonia and Egypt. Okay, so one one more point about Nimrod and his wife, Semiramis. It's quite possible that Nimrod married into the Cain satanic seed line, and she would have still appeared to be Aryan-looking. Okay, so that the you, there was no perceptible difference between the, the seed line of Cain. And oh, um, Bertrand Camperet suggested all of all of them had hooked noses, <laughs> and he he asserts that the mark on Cain was the hooked nose. But I don't think so. I think that's just a speculation. They, as these depictions show, they were very much area long, straight noses and straight foreheads as well. Okay. So and then uh, throughout the throughout the world, we hear of the bearded white men. Okay, most of the other races, including blacks, they did not grow beards. Same with uh, the uh, Americans, the, the Proto-Americans, and uh, even the Chinese. They don't have full thick beards. They have a little bit of facial hair, but not much. So, so I would I would expect the Enochians uh, coming down from Cain. Also, were bearded white men. Or at least that's the way they appeared. So, what the mark of Cain is is still subject to speculation. Maybe we'll figure that out before the second coming. All right, but yeah, I think Semiramis, his wife, uh, was a descendant of Cain. I'm, I'm also I just I'm speculating here, but that just makes too much sense. All right, back to you. Okay. Uh, thank you. The following statement shows. Uh, the highly civilized state of Babylonia in the time of Sargon of Akkad. Um, the time history says, quote, Babylonian art, however, had already a high degree of excellence. Two seal cylinders uh, of the time of Sargon are among the most beautiful specimens of the uh, gem cutters art ever discovered. The empire was bound together by roads, along with the, uh, there was a regular postal service. And <laughs> really? Because <laughs> our postal service is very irregular. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, and clay seals, which took the place of stamps, are now in the... Um, Louvre bearing the names of Sargon and his son. A cadastral survey seems to have also been instituted. 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 Uh, It is probable that the first collection of astronomical observations and um, terrestrial omens was made for a library established by Sargon. Okay. Yeah, and then... uh... Gilgamesh would have been the inheritor of that tradition. Okay? All right, back to you. We also find that, uh, quote, transparent glass seems to have been first introduced in the reign of Sargon, end quote. 
Um, and, um, and Professor King writes, quote, The Babylonians divided the day into 12 double hours, and the Greeks took over their ancient system of time divisions, along with their knowledge of astronomy, and passed it on to us, end quote. And that's from Egypt, Babylon, Babylon, and Palestine. Professor Says tells us that, quote, centuries before Abraham was born, um, bracket, about 2000 BC, and bracket, Babylonia was full of schools and libraries, of teachers and pupils, and poets Pupil, and pupils. Pupils. Pupils in English, pupils. yeah. Uh, and poets and prose writers and uh, literary works which they had com composed and quote and that's from monumental facts now of course Abraham lived in Chaldea and his father and his grandfather had both become paganized so it's quite evident that they had imbibed the the teachings of the other seed line while they were in Chaldea of course Abraham rebelled against it and that's why Yahweh had him move west to get away from that influence. Okay, back to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Sargon voyage by sea and conquest on land will be described later in the words of um, Assyro Assyrologist, who fell uh, forced to accept as history what the inscriptions say about them. Although to those who do not identify Sargon with Cain, they naturally seem almost incredible. The Cambridge history says, quote, It seems impossible to explain away the voyage of Sargon across some part of the Mediterranean, and naturally Cyprus was his first objective, end quote. Oh, by the way, Cyprus contains the remains of numerous giants. That's a, what do you call it, a, a tourist attraction. The, the giants of Cyprus. Back to you. Ah. Okay. Yeah, I know they have been stories about giants here too in Sweden, but here it's called Jettar. Mm, okay. So, it exists here too. Yeah, they're all over the planet. No doubt about it. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, one writer quotes an inscription in which Sargon says, uh, quote, for 45 years, bracket, the number of years in admittedly undecipherable, end bracket, the kingdom I have ruled, and the blackheads, quote, and a bracket, or black, and bracket, race, I have governed, in multitudes of bronze chariots, I rode over rugged lands, I governed the upper countries, and, and bracket, Assyria, etc., end bracket, Three times to the sea I have advanced, end quote. So they had seafarers also, apparently. Yes, yeah. Well, as I said, the Mexico City was named after his son Enoch, <laughs> right? So he got around, and he must have lived close to his time span. Um, life was very similar to that of Adam. So they were contemporaries. I'm sorry, Seth. So, actually, Adam, too. So, um, Adam and Seth and Cain were contemporaries for a long period of time, several hundred years. 
So Cain had the opportunity to get around, and it's, uh, it's, it says here he had ships. And uh, I think in this time before Noah's flood, the earth was a bit warmer and uh, more, how should we say, uh, it's kind of like a, a greenhouse effect. So the, the seas were probably calmer because of the greenhouse effect. So uh, it's quite conceivable that he, get, he came to America. All right, back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, the same writer remarks, quote, He is also uh, stated to have made successful expeditions to Syria and Elam, and that with the uh, conquered people of those countries, he uh, um, peopled Akkad and built there a magnificent uh, palace and temple. And that on one occasion, he was absent three years when he advanced to the Mediterranean Mm. Uh uh, and left their memorials of his deeds, returning home with immense spoils, end quote. And that's from The the Worship of the Dead by Colonel Garnier. Now, it's very interesting that secular archaeologists don't say much about Sargon at all, you know, except from these quotes that were being given by Mrs. Bistow, (laughs) right? So, fortunately, she has preserved these quotations in this book. Back to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it is evident that no ordinary human being, not even a um, Charlemagne uh, or an Alfred the Great, could have evolved during his lifetime. This great civilization, and so, as urologists, find themselves bound to attribute its evolution to their inferior race, among whom, uh, bracket, according to the inscriptions and bracket, Sargon arrived suddenly and over whom he eventually reigned. My own uh, contentions is that nothing short of Cain's arrival in Babylonia, his longevity, in a bracket, Jewish tradition says he lived more than 700 years. Okay, yeah, as I speculated a few minutes ago. Yes, very good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And his superhuman knowledge can account for the magnificent magnitude of the achievements ascribed to Sargon and the advanced civilizations and culture of Babylonia. Okay, right. So, uh, regarding the giants, the offspring of the fallen angels with Adamic women, uh, these had to be very powerful and impressive people, probably with great intelligence as well. But uh, through continued admixture with other races, the giants became um, idiots, okay, and no longer had the intelligence of the first first few generations of fallen ones. Back to you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Okay. all right, so we have about seven minutes left. Let's get into Chapter 7, Sargon, King Cain. Yes, see if we can get... Nah, maybe too long for me. Um, okay, the strongest evidence of the identified Sargon with Cain comes from the Babylonian inscriptions and will be given later. But solid grounds for holding it are supplied by several authorities who had no idea uh, of suggesting that in the in the identifications identification. Fact, right. Yeah. So, uh, in other words, uh, th- these people had no idea that they were identifying Cain with Sargon. Back to you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because they didn't have any beliefs in the Bible, it was true. So That's they, right. That's right. A fact which makes their testimony all the more valuable. To begin with, the city which, as we read in the fourth chapter of Genesis, was built by Cain in the, quote, land of Nod, end quote, and which he, he quote, called after the name of his son Enoch, end uh, quote, was probably according to Professor Says, the Babylonian city, Unuk, or Erech, um, excavated by him. Uh, quote, if I am right in identifying Unuk with the Enoch of Genesis, the city built by Cain in um, uh, com commemorations of his son, and quote. And as you said, is it, if then also the um, Mexico City is also an, an um, commemorations to Enoch. Yes, exactly. And, uh, quote, Erech appears to have been one of the centers of Semitic influence in Babylonia from a very early period, and, uh, quote. Okay, now, right, now by the word Semitic, he is probably talking about language, not necessarily race, okay? Because we differentiate the two seeds, you know, from Genesis, where, you know, the, the average scholar, both biblical and, uh, and un, unbiblical, would never make such a distinction. Okay, back to you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, both those quotes were from Hebert's lectures. And that could be an interesting book to find. Yes, yeah, <laughs> right. Um, the Cambridge history says of Sargon, quote, his career began with the conquest of Erech, end quote. Reasons for thinking that it began with the building rather than the conquest of Erech are given later. The fact that Erech is called, quote, the old city, end quote, and that, quote, place of the settlement, end quote, and that, according to Professor Says, the name of, quote, Eunuch uh, is found on the oldest bricks, end quote, helped to identify Erech, bracket, or Eunuch, end bracket, with Enoch built by Cain. Very good. So the oldest bricks have the name of Unuk stamped on them. Yeah. Um, so, as to the sudden and almost miraculous arrival of civilization and culture in Babylonia, Professor King writes, quote, we, f we have found, in short, abundant remains of a bronze culture, uh, but no uh, traces of preceding ages of development, such as meant us on early Egyptian sites, end quote. And this was from Egypt, Babylon, and Palestine. Okay, so we're Think just about, course. yeah, we're just about, uh, 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 well, go ahead, read this one last uh, short paragraph. Okay. Okay. Um, this, of course, harmonized with my belief that Cain, protected by some divine talisman, arrived suddenly in Babylonia, um, bringing, um, bringing with him the supernatural knowledge acquired by his parents. One writer expressing his astonishment at the high grade of civilization and culture which is known to have existed in Babylonia in the time of Sargon writes. And I, I can read this last uh, quote. Yes, uh, yes. Surely, such a people as this could not have sprung into existence as a Deus ex machina, 
Yeah, Deus ex machina, which is an act of God, basically. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It must have had its history, a history which um, presupposed a development of several centuries more, end quote. That was on Time's history. Yeah. Okay. Right, but not a very long history, (laughs) right? Because it's the history of Cain. And we know the Genesis chapter 4 tells us that Cain's descendants developed metallurgy and were the first ones to use metallurgy to create weapons of war. So all of this dovetails very well with Genesis. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Okay, we're just about out of time. Thanks for listening, everybody. We're going to delve deeper into this book next week. And, you know, we'll see how much of it uh, we can convey. It's a very fascinating book. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.